Welcome. You are listening to the 919 Podcast, the only podcast telling the stories of the over 1.5 million people living within and transforming the triangle. I am your host, John Carter. So this is a very interesting episode to record. I sat down with Akivas Fox. He's a member of the Bulldog Ensemble Theater in Durham, which just had their opening night back in the fall. So very new organization. And I say this is an interesting episode because if I'm being honest with myself, I don't consider myself artsy. Uh, Akivas is, uh, for sure. And yes, I've had a few, you know, art, quite a few artistic people on the podcast, and I myself have a podcast, so I mean, that's, that's some form of art. But when I was growing up, I really didn't do theater or paint or anything like that. So it was fascinating to hear Akivas talk about moving to Durham for, like, specifically for art and theater. Uh, you'll hear my surprise plenty while we're talking, uh, but... It was very fun to talk with him. Good perspective on um, you know what his craft and what he's interested in, and I will for sure be checking out Bulldog Theater soon. Um, quick note: after the episode, keep listening. I'm going to share some about my new Patreon account. Um, this is basically a way for you, as a listener, to partner with and support the podcast uh, if you love listening. And I'll, I'll talk about that later. So, uh, for now, on to Akiva's Fox as we discuss Bulldog Ensemble Theater. I am here with Akiva Fox, member of Bulldog Ensemble Theater. Akiva, thanks for joining the 919 Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. And before we get talking about the theater, I actually was hoping you'd tell me about yourself. So how did you arrive in the Triangle? Well, I think a lot of people come to the Triangle because, you know, either they come for a job or school or like they come with a boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife. And I came because I just liked it. Um, I was living in D.C. and I had been in D.C. for about six years and that's about the statute of limitations on that. It's how long the senators stay. It's about how long I could stay. So I was really burnt out there. <laughs> and I was literally just looking for a place I wanted to live and work with some friends. Wow. And make theater, for that matter. And so we started looking all over the country. And there were, you know, some sort of usual suspects that popped up. Places like Austin, Texas and Portland, Oregon. Those sort of like meccas for young professional types. But this seemed like a place that hadn't become that yet. This was now eight years ago okay so the the sort of flourishing of the triangle was sort of just happening durham when i moved in was still in as they say transitional state yeah um so the downtown was nowhere near what it is now and it was in that stage of becoming not to say there wasn't awesome stuff already in the triangle but it was just sort of coming up on the national radar as a place to be and so i moved down with two friends and we just wanted a place where we could live and afford to live um, I don't think it's a coincidence that we've all met significant others and gotten married since yeah. we got down here. It's just very, it's a very stable place to live compared to a place like D.C. where every two years my friends would just move out and I'd have to make all new friends. Um, so the, it was really because I love the place and not because there was a specific reason to come here. That's cool. I, I don't know if I've actually 
anyone on the show has talked about like that being a reason they like i just wanted a different place to live and they picked the triangle so uh did you grow up in washington not at all i grew up in boston um so i didn't just move here for the weather but it was a strong consideration (laughs) um and so you know boston's a pretty big city and i've lived in cities of all sizes and shapes mostly up and down the east coast and this just seemed to me like durham in particular seemed like the size of city that i really liked um, a few hundred thousand people, not giant, mm. um, with access to lots of other interesting cities all around it, Raleigh and right. Chapel Hill, but also Hillsboro and Greensboro and even Winston-Salem if you go out a bit farther. Mm. So I think I really loved the size of it. It just felt perfect to me. And I've, I was talking about this the other day with a friend, but I mean, the, the whole I-40, or actually it was, a, it was an episode we did, yeah. but the whole like I-40 corridor, there's a ton of like artsy cities around there so it'd be perfect absolutely and i think you know durham has this extremely proud history in the arts um going back you know ages and ages but by the time we showed up there there was already a pretty flourishing theater scene obviously music was huge food maybe the biggest art of all in in durham yeah and there was just exciting stuff happening all the time and it seemed like a place where we didn't have to reinvent the wheel but we could have we could join an already existing community I'm so curious when when you're looking at uh, Durham, you know, even in Washington D.C. or Boston, is that is the Triangle well known for the arts? Oh yeah, I mean, I think you know, probably ten years ago there started being these like regular New York Times or Washington Post articles about like how to spend a weekend in the Triangle of North Carolina. Oh. Like, what is this Triangle? <laughs> um, so there's a little bit of kind of like snooty stuff going on there, but I think the the reputation of this place is that it was a really interesting. Uh, fermenting kind of place for the arts at the same time I don't think we expected what we found here at all like the first year I was here I came to sort of the general auditions where all the theaters came to see actors here Mm -hmm. and I was like my hair was blown back by it it was like this incredible like group of people I had no idea about and for me the biggest part of it was nobody was here to get famous so even if you were in DC there was always that possibility someone might notice you and then they take you to New York or LA and you become famous sure and I knew one or two people who like had pretty flourishing theater or film careers at coming out of DC. Here I've met a lot of people who either that life was never interesting to them or they had done that life already. They had gotten to the top of their profession, but it wasn't exciting to them anymore. They wanted a place where they could live, where they could afford to live and where they could be creative. So the people I've met here, you know, a lot of them have a ton of professional experience at a really high level, but they wanted to make a life here that's sustainable. That's really cool. And, and that, that's those have become your friends that you've then made this theater. So I definitely want to get back to, at some point, talk about more your background theater. But yeah. what is Bulldog Ensemble Theater? Well, it's impossible to talk about Bulldog Ensemble Theater without mentioning another dog, which is a group called Man Bites Dog Theater, um, which for 30 years um, was a staple of downtown Durham. Uh, if you know that corner of Gear Street and Foster Street in Durham where Gear Street Garden and Coco Cinnamon um, Motor Co., The Pit, Full Steam, mm-hmm. all is. The reason that is something is because Man Bites Dog Theater 20, 25 years ago sat down there when it was uh, basically an empty lot and they said, we're going to buy this building, you know, with the two cents we have and we're going to make a theater here. And everything wow. that grew up around it grew because it was there. So they um, they really made something extraordinary there. And then the guys who ran it, um, Jeff and Ed, wanted to basically like not run a theater anymore. I can I can testify it's hard, exhausting work. Yeah. Thirty years is a, an incredibly long lifetime for a smaller theater. They did an amazing job and they wanted it to be something else. And I should say also 
that in the profits of the sale of the building that they had there, which is you know a million times what they paid for it, right? Um, they're turning that into supporting the arts in Durham. Wow. Um, so that's great. So it's going to live on, but it's going to live on in a way they don't have to turn on the lights at you know one o'clock in the morning. They can just be supporting other groups yeah. and everything. So um, when that shut down and they sold the building, it was a little bit of a you know we were happy for them, but there was also a little bit of a crisis in the arts in Durham because that was one of the main homes. They really made it possible to do arts affordably. Mm-hmm. And so about 20 of us who had done shows with them and with other groups came together and said, we want something like Man Bites Dog to exist going forward. And I think the community was really receptive of that, um, both the artistic community and just the people who came to see shows. Mm-hmm. So Bulldog really grew out of a desire to have some sort of continuing Man Bites Dog-like theater in the triangle. Small... Um, doing really exciting new plays, um, but not aspiring to be like playmakers or like even like Deepak. Okay. Um, so that um, that legacy is really what's being, what's inspired us to start it up. That's really cool. Yeah. And and what kind of stuff is being performed? Is and this is original composition that people you know the members bring. Some of it um, is. Okay. So what we've said is that we want shows that speak to our community. And they can come from the community or they can come from outside as long as they speak to our concerns as a community. So, uh, for example, the first show we did was not written by someone from Durham. It was written by someone from Tennessee. But it was a play that was about this incredibly diverse, interesting family. And we felt like this was a Durham show. Hmm. So that was something where it wasn't developed by us, but it was performed entirely by artists from Durham and the, and the Triangle as a whole. Hmm. So the show we're running right now, a show called The Talk, is by a local performer, a guy named Sonny Kelly, who's actually a PhD student at UNC. Um, And so our shows can kind of come from anywhere, but I think what matters is that they have some local angle to them. So we read a lot of plays from all over the country. Our members have the opportunity to bring in material of their own, which is how we found this play, the talk, Um, but it can kind of come from anywhere. That's really cool. And then, I mean, there's there's... 30 members? 20, or yeah. 20, okay. And then you all just pick parts or, I mean, do you audition for it? Do you have people come in and audition? So how does that, how does that work? We do. I mean, I think if we were to say that um, we're going to do this play and everyone is going to come entirely from the company, you know, what happens when we need a very specific character? So like we're casting a play right now that needs an Asian American gay man in his 20s. We did not happen to have someone matching that description right. in the company already. Um, but we have a show later this season where someone from the company matched it great. So basically, the company is sort of the bedrock. You know, we try to have actors and directors and designers and playwrights all coming from the company involved as much as possible. But we also want to bring in other artists. There's so many interesting, compelling, creative artists in the triangle that we'd be cutting ourselves off if we just said, like, only these 20 people can be involved. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And you mentioned Deepak. So how... What makes this different from other? I said venues earlier uh, before we started, but that's that's incorrect. What makes this different from other theaters uh, in the Triangle? Yeah, so we're a theater organization. We don't have a building of our own. Buildings are super expensive. We don't yeah. have that much money yet, <laughs> especially in Durham now. Yeah, so. and Deepak is fundamentally a venue. So you know, the other thing is that Deepak is not um, that's not Durham art. I think it's great that it exists. I'm really happy it exists. But when, you know, Jay Leno comes through or Hamilton comes through, I'm super glad that people in the Triangle can see it and can see it in downtown Durham. But they're not artists of Durham. Mm-hmm. And so what, what was compelling to us is that we were, you know, I think our motto is, you know, of Durham, by Durham, for Durham. Yeah. And so the material and the artists involved are all local. I mean, I think it's, it's very much analogous to a restaurant. Like, I think it's awesome that we have, you know, big national restaurant chains in the Triangle. Right. But I think it's also really important that, like, Pizzeria Toro exists. 
and the, a local guy made it. Um, so, you know, the, the low sort of local food movement is very analogous to what we're doing. That yeah. all the, all, we're trying to have material that's local and we're trying to have artists that are local and we're trying to have an audience that is local. It's a good way of putting it. And then are there other theaters like this in the Triangle? Like, is there one Raleigh or Chapel Hill? Or? Absolutely. And th there's others like it in Durham. I mean, Little okay. Green Pig is another example. It's been around for quite some time as well. Mm. Um, you know, there is, I don't think most people who go to Deepak, for example, or Theater Raleigh or a place like that, or even Playmakers, know about the sort of vast infrastructure, like just below the surface of smaller theaters. Mm. People who are, you know, getting paid at least some money for their work, but for the most part are not doing it for the money, you know. Few of us make a living off of this. Mm. We do it because we love to do the work and we think that it's sort of the only place to see it and the only place to make it. And so I don't think a theater like Deepak could support itself um, trying to do the smaller, interesting work we're trying to do. Right. Good point. Um, I'd we're going to see them try, but yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. So let's talk more about your background in theater. Uh, how do, you, know, you, you grew up in Boston, mm -hmm. and I'm sure there's, there's tons of uh, different you know, uh, ways to be involved in the arts there. So how, you know, how did you get involved and where did you find your passion was? I mean, I think a lot of uh, people who are involved in the arts in some capacity come to it when they're young. I mean, I think everyone, you know, was in musicals in high school, regardless of whether they've grown up to do it professionally. Usually you were either in the musical or you were on the sports team. Uh, I played baseball and did the musical, so I got a little of both. Mm -hmm. uh, it was an odd combination. <laughs> Um, but there was, um, there were also really strong theaters when I was growing up there, particularly a theater called the American Repertory Theater um, in Boston, where I ended up actually going back to grad school later on. So it was a nice kind of full circle. Yeah. Um, saw a ton of shows there, some pretty out there experimental stuff, but also smaller theaters, you know, a little theater along the Charles River that would do shows in the summer, which was lovely. Um, and so I think, I think a lot of people who get involved in theater have that sort of twin experience of seeing shows as they're young and by the time they get to high school, starting to do shows themselves. And that carried over into college. Again, I was never thinking of it as like, I must be this when I grow up. I'm going to be an actor. I'm going to be a director. But, you know, every time I just kept going and I seemed to have the talent for it. So in college, I did, you know, a million plays or whatever. And then after college, I ended up interning at a theater in Philadelphia where I went to college called the Wilma, which was an awesome experience and, you know, got to really sit in on how a play is made. And I realized these people are more experienced than I am, but I know what I'm doing. I'm 22, mm. so I'm an idiot, but I still kind of know what <laughs> yep. I'm doing. I can hang with this group. Mm. Um, and, and that really gave me a tremendous amount of confidence. And from there, I went back to grad school in Boston. I studied this thing called dramaturgy, which is kind of like... Um, you know, a little bit of an expertise in everything, hmm. researching the play, talking to audiences about the play, writing about the play, some of the things the director might do. So just getting to know as much as I could about it and got a master's. Wow. And then from there, went directly to work at this big, crazy, giant theater in Washington, D.C. called the Shakespeare Theater Company. I was there for six years. And that was like working in professional theater, yeah. which was super intense and great and frustrating and awesome. And eventually I burned out pretty hard on it because it was a lot of hours, um, a lot of plays. We do eight or nine plays a year, which wow. is a ton of plays to do. I got to meet really cool people in DC. I got to meet most of the Supreme Court at one time or another. Uh, <laughs> Ruth Bader Ginsburg is as awesome as she is uh, claimed to be. Uh, came to see all our shows, which was great. Oh, that's cool. Um, they would do these mock trials. So like, I got, I got the sort of like high level of professional theater but at a certain point, I wanted to do smaller stuff. Um, and that was really the impetus to come down here. That's cool. And then uh, you mentioned three of you came down. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, did you know anyone here? Uh, how did you get involved in the group that would eventually create Bulldog? Yeah, so three of us came down who had worked together on plays in D.C. Um, I knew next to nobody here. I knew one guy who had translated a play I had directed in D.C. who lived down here, mm-hmm. uh, who was awesome, a guy named David Ball, who I highly recommend as a person and a, player, and a uh, play translator. Um, that was my one connection in the triangle. Uh, and from there, uh, just started, you know, we literally walked into Man Bites Dog and said, we want to do a play. And they said, cool, when do you want to do it? And I think a lot wow. of a lot of places with a building like that would have said, well, I don't know about that. But literally, they were just like, that's great. We need people in this building doing creative stuff. And so it started from there. And, and you know, step by step, everyone was incredibly friendly. You know, we had a we had an open call for like hanging lights and putting it set and a whole bunch of people showed up. One of those people became my wife, which is quite lovely. Um, <laughs> and so cool. the community, not all of them did mercifully, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's an incredibly insular welcoming community. So as soon as you show up, they're like, great, more hands on deck, let's go. Mm. And so we started to make our own theater, but also I just started meeting everybody. I eventually, you know, eventually we started working at Man Bites Dog and that's sort of where those connections came from that became Bulldog. Right. So the theater's pretty young, and opening night was September, right? September. Yeah, the first night was in, was in late September, um, and we did a show called Curve of Departure, which was our first show. Mm. Uh, always very scary um, to start out of nowhere, but the nice thing is that we had a little bit of that Man Bites Dog base, and when they heard right. that there was a group of artists continuing, I think a lot of people showed up saying, you know, we want to support this. Right. So tell me about that first night. Um, I, I can, you know, there's different movies with centered around playmaking or something like that so it always looks very hectic is it is it true it's is extremely it? accurate okay. <laughs> i mean not usually in the kind of like over the top comedy way that you right, might right. think from from shows like that opening night was fine uh the weeks before opening night were extremely hectic we we found the play very late the play we were originally going to do it turns out another theater in the triangle had sort of reserved oh. um and we had we had no idea so we had to sort of scramble on that we found a director at the last minute we found actors at the last last minute because we had to cast these really specific types and we just sort of magically happened into the right people um and then just sort of one after the other there was like there was just like anything that could go wrong went wrong you know, as you may remember, there was a hurricane during the run of that show in September. Uh, yeah. There was giant flooding. Uh, that's always fun. Uh, at one point, there was a wedding going out at the same venue during the run of the show, and they unplugged our lights, and we had to basically rewire our lights during the course of the show. <laughs> one of our actors was uh, quite elderly and didn't really learn all of his lines until basically opening night. Uh, it was it was kind of one thing after another. Um, but opening night was great, and people responded really beautifully to the show. And in the end, about 400 people saw it, which for a new theater company is great. Um, wow. It's also exciting that now we can say that the talk is going, that something like 1,200 people are going to see the talk. Wow. So that's wow. really exploded. And I think, I think that's a testimony to not only the strength of the material, but the fact that there is an incredible appetite for this kind of theater in the Triangle. It's a really supportive community. I think it's, you know, Durham is, is famously super educated and like professionals of all backgrounds super diverse like really rooted you know people whose families have lived here for generations and people like myself were really new to the area Mm. and i think there was it seemed like there was a real appetite for that and we hope it's going to continue throughout the spring sounds like it so let's talk about the theater's two productions so far curve of departure Mm -hmm. and the talk so what are what are both about you know what, what can people expect so curve of departure is a fairly naturalistic play it's literally like a family in a hotel room kind of play 
the the difference about this so there's two differences number one it's basically the first scene of any other play it's about a family that gets together because this relative of theirs has passed away suddenly and they all have really complicated relationships with him <laughs> but it's the family is black and jewish and gay and straight and christian and you name it it's just this incredibly sort of modern american uh, view of what a family looks like and modern family as it were <laughs> <laughs> so to speak um, so it's this incredibly diverse, interesting family with very universal concerns. So people were seeing that show from all kinds of different backgrounds, some of them backgrounds that are represented in the play and saying, I recognize something like this from my own life. And so I think there's a lot of plays that are just like white people in a room talking. No offense to white people in a room talking. Some of my best friends are white people in a room talking. But it's it was awesome that everyone who came into that play could see someone who looked like them. Yeah. And that was great. Um, and also, it, it wasn't a play that tried to do too much. It wasn't trying to depict the funeral. It was literally just the night before the funeral and the sort of small conflicts. It was just a, it was just a gorgeous little play that people responded to wonderfully. And it was simple, and there wasn't, it wasn't doing too much. And, mm. and it was a, I think it was a great way to start. It was sort of a, a calling card and say, this is what we're about. Yeah. Is, is it very dramatic? Is it, like, is it full of comedy? You know, what would you yes, say? it's all the above. So there's right. some really tragic moments and really comic moments. Mm. Um, it's not very over the top. There isn't like moments of incredible revelations. Like, <gasps> yeah, yeah the, 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 the big revelations in the play is that the sort of central couple is talking about adopting a kid and they haven't told mom. Mm. Um, so there's these sort of like little revelations you just gave it away like that. I'm sorry, I gave it away. <laughs> uh, the play's over. We're oh, not okay. see it. You have to go to some other city to see it. Um, and so it's about these kind of like small movements. And mostly what the play is about is the kind of tremendous support and love within a family. So, of course, what makes it dramatic is the conflicts. But in the end of the play, people are together with each other. And it's wonderful to see, like, you know, an old Jewish grandfather and a young black grandson and that the love for them is the same. Hmm. Um, and that there was something incredibly beautiful in the kind of normalcy of the love between them. That's very cool. Um, and then let's talk about the talk. Let's talk about the talk. So Let's well, talk the talk. And that, that is currently being shown? Going on right now. Okay. Um, we just ran it for three weekends in Durham, and it's moving over to Chapel Hill for one weekend okay. um, to the Historic Playmakers Theater on the UNC campus. Uh, so it's, um, it's a one-man show, uh, which can be a scary word at times. So one person? One person said all the words. Only 70 minutes. <laughs> Still a lot of words. <laughs> And it's written by the guy who performs it. That blows my mind. I know it's intense, right? <laughs> uh, he's you know he's playing something like twenty characters, including some real people. He's playing himself and members of his family, but he's also playing people like uh, President Obama at one point. And he plays. Oh, um, I like this James Baldwin. You should come see <laughs> it. Uh, get your tickets <laughs> soon, though. It's, yeah. Um, and so it's it started as a prep. So he's a he's a PhD student at UNC in the communications department. And it started as like a class project, you know, make a little show for the class that's five or ten minutes long. And so he talked about talking to his son um, when the news was all about things like Ferguson and Baltimore and these stories about um, conflicts between the police and communities of color. Oh, so there's a lot of uh, like modern political uh, totally. stuff. Totally. And, the, and the, the basic of it is like, how do you talk to your kid about this? Especially if your kid is, a, you know, he's a 10-year-old black kid. What does it mean that the world sees you differently? It's really hard to explain. I think any, if you're part of any marginalized community, you think, how am I going to explain to my kids why we're marginalized? Um, and so I think the people who have come to see this show have really felt that from their own background as well. So he started developing it over the last few years with the director, Joseph Meagle, who's a part of our company. 
Um, and this guy, Sonny Kelly, has been sort of, he's taken it around to a school or two. He's been developing into a full-length piece. So they work together, and this is the sort of final theatrical version of it. Wow. And so people are responding in a way I've never quite seen people respond to a play. It's It's been an incredible outpouring. Like, we're almost out of tickets at this point. It's crazy. Like, it's more tickets than we've ever sold for anything. That's awesome. Um, and I think that's because everyone identifies with it in some way. And so if you're a white person, and this is not your personal experience... I think one of the things that people are learning is like I had no idea other people went through this. I didn't know what it was like. I didn't know what people were angry about. And he's making it really personal. He's not making it huge and political. He's saying, here is my experience with my family. Um, and then he brings in stuff from all over the place. He brings in different voices talking about it. He brings in, you know, writing about it from people 50 years ago and 100 years ago. And he just makes it this incredibly involving night. Um, it's a really short piece. Afterwards, people can stay and talk about it with him. Yeah. Um, but it's it, it really touches something really deep in people without being preachy and super political. It's political because it's personal. Gotcha. Yeah. And I, I'm so curious if there's 20 members of you, you know, 20 members of the group, uh, one person's doing this. So, you know, what are you doing behind the scenes? Well, Certainly you're not bored. I mean, there's yeah. stuff for you to do, but, you know, one person's acting. So how does that work? Yeah, so um, this is a this show is a co-production between Bulldog and a sort of sister company called Street Signs, uh, which operates out of UNC. And so along with the folks at Street Signs, I'm doing what is essentially what you might call a producer job. It's making sure that we have the money to pay the performers and the artists involved, and it's making sure that people know about the show. Um, so we've gotten a ton of really great so press on, on the show. For example, <laughs> yeah, but like Sonny, Sonny Kelly, the the artist who performs the show and wrote it, was on the State of Things last week, which is a great oh. a great venue for that. There was an article in the News and Observer, an article in the Indie, um, just getting into those venues and getting in front of people's eyes because otherwise, you know, people have lives. They're not paying attention to what's going on in the theater scene unless it's you know one tenth of one percent of all people who are involved in it anyway. <laughs> So it's been a way to bring in people who don't usually come to see plays. So a lot of my job is just making sure that like everything runs smoothly, but that the audiences are coming in and they're buying yeah. the tickets. And so that part has been pretty successful, which is great. I feel good about that. Well, let's say I'm listening and I, I'm like, okay, well, I want to see the talk. Mm-hmm. I want to I see it. So how would they go about that? Um, do, they, do they buy tickets online? Uh, you know, where do they... What happens? That is the question that every producer wants to hear. Okay. <laughs> um, so we have a we have a robust web presence at bulldogdurham.org. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go to bulldogdurham.org slash the hyphen talk um, if you want to go right to the page, but you can get there from the front page as well. And so all those tickets are for sale online. Um, there's some tickets at the door, but less and less every day, which is a cool thing to be able to say too. Yeah. Um, so we try to make it as easy as possible. And tickets are really cheap. They're really super cheap. Um, we only pay for about half of our running operations through tickets because oh, wow. we want to keep them cheap. So if you're under the age of 35, tickets are $10 and they'll always be $10. This weekend, if you're affiliated with UNC in some way, tickets are $10. The max price is $20. And there are discounts if you're a senior or a veteran or a few other things. Sure. So we just want to make sure that as many people who can see it. If you want to see it, you should be able to see it. If you can afford a movie, you can afford a ticket. Yeah, good yeah. point. Uh, well, got any other fun stories? So you mentioned uh, you know, the weeks leading up to um, Curve of Departure. Yeah. Uh, and it's been a short history of the theater so far, but any other crazy or fun stories? I mean, I, I would say the the most fun that happened this week, well, maybe fun is the wrong word for it. Um, <laughs> interesting. So, um, interesting story. So we were, putting the, we were putting the talk together, and every show that goes up, there is what is known as Tech Week, which is where you're putting in the theater, you're adding the lights and the sound and mm-hmm. the costumes and the sets. 
And so we were sitting around there, and we're at a venue called the Durham Fruit and Produce Company, uh, which is a really cool, newish venue in downtown Durham. And the guy who owns it, this guy named Tim Walter, said, so I've been doing a little research on this venue, what was here, and he discovered that at the late 19th century, the land was owned by a man named Julian Carr. You may have heard of Julian Carr. You may have heard of Carborough. Um, uh, his, yes. His main claim to fame right now is that he gave, he was hugely involved in industry, particularly the textile industry. He paid for a lot of, you know, what became modern downtown Durham. Wow. But... He also gave an extremely, uh, I guess the word is racist, a pretty racist speech at the uh, opening of a statue called Silent Sam on the UNC campus. And That's that, been in the news lately. It's been in the news a little bit lately um, <laughs> okay. because he was a Civil War veteran and very, sure. you know, very virulent about his feelings in that regard. And, the, and Silent Sam comes up in the show because it's a part of the discussion. Like, how did we get to a place like Ferguson or Baltimore? Well, it came through the Civil War and it came through putting up those statues uh, and so we discovered that at the point in the show where he mentioned Silent Sam, we had to add, we had to add a line, and the line was, "The land we're sitting on right now used to be owned by Julian Carr." And <laughs> so it was this kind of crazy confluence of everything coming together in that one moment. So it's not a it's not a funny story exactly, but it's it's an incredible moment of poignancy that sometimes happens at these magical moments in the theater. Or like you're you're talking about something, you're producing something you're acting it out and then you realize oh actually this piece of history is connected with what we're talking about right absolutely now. i mean we're going to go perform it on the unc campus next weekend yeah. so yeah. uh it's going to be even closer to it he's going to be able to say you know silent sam literally stood you know 100 yards that way <laughs> uh so it's impossible to have these discussions without um history kind of swirling around you in this part of the world yeah. uh, and so that part of it has been really interesting but that's something that didn't come into the show at all until the day before we opened uh, you i think yeah, you know, this is definitely like uh, the website says, at least, and what I've, what we've talked about. It's of Durham by Durham for Durham. Mm-hmm. So, uh, sounds very much like this is what you guys um, are getting from the community. It's what uh, is being talked about. So I, these productions are very much, you know, current events. You know, it's and whereas if you went to Deepak, it wouldn't necessarily be that. It'd be classics or yeah, some, other, yeah, some other some other stuff that comes. I through. think giant Broadway musicals have things to say to us now. Sure. And like yeah. I think it's cool that the big comedians come through and the podcasts the big podcasts come through now, I guess. Like the nine one nine, yeah, that kind of thing. Well, you know, in five years when you're selling out Deepak, <laughs> that's right. Um, and I think there's great music, and even a place like the Carolina Theater, which does more local stuff, which I really appreciate. You know, we're trying to address our community as directly as possible, and we're trying to choose material that speaks to mm-hmm. it. That's just that's part of our, you know, part of our credo is that it has to speak to us as Durham and the Triangle as a whole. Um, and we just want that to, you know, be a conversation you couldn't have at other places yeah. because it is it is so rooted in Durham. Awesome. All right. Well, anything else you want to discuss? Did we get everything? Um, well, I should say we have two more shows coming up this spring. Yes, yes. Um, because I'm required to do plugs at all times. Please. Play uh, one is The next show is at the end of March, so coming up relatively soon, uh, called In a Word, which is this incredible play about uh, a couple whose kid goes missing and they've just spent years kind of swirling around together. So, so it's wow. it's kind of tragic material. But it's presented in this kind of almost magical way. The language is unbelievable and strange and interesting. So it's a it's a take that's different than just if you saw it in a TV show, for example, because mm. it uses every part of the theater and it uses every capability of the theater. And then the last show we're doing is kind of my favorite show of the season, this incredible play called White, um, which is 
it sort of touches on every hot button issue you can imagine. It touches on <laughs> on sex and race and art and all of the above. Super current, super up to the minute, incredibly funny, laugh out loud, but also like, you know, makes your heart jump in your chest a little bit. Um, and I think it's it's incredibly daring and different. And so we're trying to do four pieces this year that are as different and interesting as possible. Some really naturalistic stuff, some really political stuff, some really not naturalistic stuff. And just sort of show the capabilities of what you can do in a theater. Awesome. Okay, well, thanks for plugging that. And uh, Well, yeah. thanks for letting me plug it. Out. Yeah, that's good. All right. Well, awesome. Uh, definitely good luck with everything coming up. And uh, thanks for being on the 919 Podcast. I really appreciate you having me. And I really appreciate that this exists so we can all spread the word. You're welcome. Yeah. You just listened to Akivas talk about Bulldog Ensemble Theater. Hey, if this is your first time listening, follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The919Podcast and subscribe to the show on iTunes or Spotify. Okay, two assignments for you this week. One, share the podcast with one of your friends, which is really easy. So they'll think you're cool and they'll benefit from learning more about the triangle. So share it with one of your friends. Number two, like I said before the actual discussion uh, with Akivas, uh, visit my Patreon account. This is a way for creators like myself to be supported uh, by the people that like my craft. So if you love the podcast and let's say you have $2 to spare, you can be a supporter today by signing up. Uh, I publish roughly four episodes a month. So that's like 50 cents an episode. Uh, helps pay for me traveling to interview people, gas money, uh, the equipment, etc. cetera. Uh, so check out my Patreon page. I'll make sure to put the link in the description. And guys, as always, thanks for listening.